and everybody not in that age bracket. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10 and 16 through 20. Our celebration this week, Jesus is risen. That's our celebration. That's, that's all we need to celebrate. Our, our, we've got great things, of course, that happen in our lives, but there is nothing that could happen in our personal lives or in the lives of our, life of our church greater than Jesus is risen. So that's what we celebrate. Yesterday uh, would have been Silent Saturday. That's what we call it now. Uh, don't know that that's what they called it. They called it a Sabbath day. Jesus had been crucified. And then, as we discussed in our Connect group this morning, we would have had things to do on a Saturday. We, we could have cut the grass or worked around the house inside or, or gone somewhere or, or, or gone to the lake, gone fishing. We, we could have done something to occupy our minds had we been in the disciples' place today. They were living out their Sabbath day. All they could do was go home and sit and think about everything that had happened for the last three years and then everything that they had hoped for, everything that they thought they had been promised, all the, the, the foreshadowing and all of the, the things that they were expecting came screeching to a, an awful halt that Friday. And they got to go home and sit, and think, and mull over, and just wonder what could have been. Of course, we know, we know, because we've read it a bunch of times, but over the course of three years, you would have thought they would have gotten it too, but they didn't, but we know, and they were told that, that Friday wasn't the end. Saturday was silent, but it wasn't the last word. Sunday was coming. And that's where we come to in Scripture. Sunday morning, their first day of the week, our last day of the week. And we show up to the story after the resurrection. Jesus is already gone. He, who knows when? Bible doesn't talk about it. doesn't talk about how it happened or anything. We just, Matthew picks up the story, Mark, Luke, and John all pick up the story at this point about dawn. And sometime before that, Jesus left the tomb. This is the story, Matthew 28, 1 through 10, of the empty tomb, not the resurrection. The resurrection has already happened. Read with me Matthew 28, 1 through 10, and then jump down to verses 16 through 20. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. 
the angel was nice there and didn't say, just as he said over and over and over. Not rubbing their noses in it at the moment. Come and see the place where he lay. Verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I've told you. So, departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, imagine that mix of emotions, fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Again, go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Skip to verse 16. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Miracle and Mission is the title of this message this morning. The first thing we're going to look at is our miracle morning Miracle after miracle after miracle on that Sunday morning. Not everything we're going to talk about is a miracle, but it is all fairly awe-inspiring. The things that went on on this morning. And today we're just going to walk through this narrative passage of that Sunday morning. Verses 1 through 10. Verses 16 through 20 would have probably actually taken place a couple of weeks later. The Gospels, if, if you're taking part in our D-group reading, you read the entire uh, story of the passion of Christ, that, that entire week, from every Gospel this week, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all tell the story, not a different story, but the same story from different eyewitness perspectives. So what you have is different writers focused on different things. They were writing to different audiences, and so, uh, and so they were focused on what they needed to get across to those who would initially be reading their Gospels. So what you have is not uh, stories in opposition to each other, but stories that dovetail and connect and fill in gaps. Matthew, in this case, was not worried about all the things that happened between Jesus' resurrection and his command to make the disciples. It wasn't his purpose in writing, so he just left all that out. Both things that happened after and before the Great Commission, as we call verses 16 through 20. So we don't fret over those things, and this morning, I'm not going to get into all those things, because I'm not preaching Mark, Luke, or John this morning. We're looking at Matthew, and how he tells the story. First of our miracle morning. First thing we need to see is the bravery of the Marys. We know that they questioned, even on their way, who's going to roll the stone? course you know why there are no men with them to roll the stone right they're all hiding they don't know what's going on they they're worried that they have come after the leader 
Jesus, and now they're going to come after everybody else. They have scattered. They deserted Jesus, and they haven't shown back up yet. So these ladies, uh, he, uh, Matthew mentions two, right? Um, John, I think, mentions three, throws in another one there. How are we going to roll the stone? They knew it was, it, was, it was big, it was in place, and it was sealed. That seal would have done two things. It would have made it more difficult to open, especially if it was a kind of a wax seal, which was not unheard of, all the way around the enclosure. But also, it would have been a government seal. Do not open. And they didn't want to break that rule, and the guards were going to be there. So how are they going to uh, get the guards, to, uh, convince the guards to let them in? Well, what are you going to do? You're going to steal the body and say he rose from the grave? No, no, you can't. And yet, these ladies went anyway. They were going to see their Jesus, and, and nothing was going to stop them. Not even all the impossibilities of getting into his body. They were not going to be dissuaded. Oh, that we would be so determined to see Jesus so that nothing could dissuade us from seeing him, from making our way to him. My physical inability? Nope. Somebody's command? Nope. Barriers and blockades to me getting there? Nope. Nobody else joining me? Who cares? I'm going to get to Jesus. We see their bravery. We hear of an earthquake, the, the second earthquake in as many days. Some would say that this was an aftershock of, of Friday when Jesus breathed his last and said, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And there was an earthquake and the temple veil tore in two from top to bottom. And this was an aftershock. Or maybe that was the warning of what was coming two days later, three days later on Sunday morning. Maybe this was the, the beginning tremor and this was the big one. Who cares? What it was, was at the cross, creation declared it is finished. And on Sunday morning, creation declared a new life has begun. The work is done. Death is defeated. Creation worshipped. On his march into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week, when the, the leaders were telling everybody, tell your disciples to shut up. They cannot say these things. Hosanna, Hosanna. They can't welcome a king riding a donkey into the gates of Jerusalem. This is treason. You cannot do this. And Jesus says, if they don't worship me, the very rocks will cry out. Who was worshiping at the moment of his death? The very rocks. Who worshipped when nobody knew he was, uh, had been raised from the dead yet? The very rocks. Creation worshipped. No, crea creation's not alive. No, they're, they're, it's not that it was reacting. It was doing what it was told by his heavenly Father. And that earthquake announces this angel... The, the, the phrasing here of he, the, he, uh, 
there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone. Just very simple language, matter of fact. There's no, there's no um, intensity to this language or anything. It's just the angel shows up. And so, of course, there's an earthquake when an angel shows up, right? Just, you just expect that, huh? And then he shows up at the tomb and he goes, and boom, the stone's gone. And then he sits, just takes a seat, and waits. Waits to give, depending on the angel, depending on what his job has been in the past, probably the, I don't care what his job was in the past, this was the best message he would, this heavenly messenger would ever give. He's not here. So he sits and he waits. That rolled stone, that was not to let Jesus out. Remember, this is not the story of Jesus' resurrection, not the recounting of Jesus' resurrection. This is the recounting of the empty tomb. Jesus is already gone. He's already out of there. The stone, he came back from the dead. Why would he be worried about a stone? Why would he, hey, y'all, I'm, I'm alive, can you, can you open this? No, 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 no. He, he, he does not need to worry about the stone if the God who created all things put life back into his lungs. That is not a concern. The stone is moved not to let Jesus out, to but, let, to, but to let us in and to see, oh, he ain't there. Because that's what the, angels are gonna the angel is going to tell uh, the ladies, come see, come, come look. John is going to recount John, Peter and John running to the tomb. John getting there first because he is younger and faster. And Peter getting there second. John stopping and Peter going on in because Peter don't wait. Peter's going to see, is it really empty? It is empty. He is gone. These brave ladies, this angelic earthquake, this rolled stone gets us to these shook guards. They are shook in every meaning of the current usage of that word among the kids these days. They are shook. What's interesting is it's the same word that's used for the earthquake. The earth shook, and now the guards are shook. Because what in the world? You know, this was supposed to be an easy assignment. We're just here to beat up on a few fishermen if they show up to try to take this body. This ain't nothing. He ain't getting out. He's dead. This may be the easiest assignment we've ever had. Suddenly, and he sits there and they're shook. I'm sure all those noises happened just the way I said them. The ground shook, they got shook, and it says that they uh, were so shook by the fear of him that they became like dead men. They didn't die. But the only people that looked dead was not the corpse that they were guarding, but the guards who were supposed to be guarding the corpse. They were the ones that looked dead. They were like dead men. You looking for some dead people? The angel might have said to the Marys. You looking for some dead people? This is the closest thing we got. Look at these fellas. 
Nothing in here. This is what he used to look like. That's what Jesus, that you're, that's what he looked like. But he doesn't look like that. Now he's gone. They're the only ones here. Rolled stone, shook guards, and an empty tomb. The angel told them, verse 5, don't be afraid. It's it's an imperative, it's a command, and it's actually, the tense is, as Etta talked about this morning in our connect group, she took all my good points this morning in our connect group, and maybe all you teachers did, but that's all right, we're going going to talk about it some more. It's not, don't be afraid if you start feeling afraid sometime in the future, it's stop being afraid right now, because I know you are, (laughs) And, and it's expected. There's something wrong with you, with you if you're just strolling up to a graveyard and the, the grave is empty and the angel is sitting there and the tombs moved and, the, moved and the, 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 the guards look like they're dead. Fear is going to be a natural response to all of that. Stop being afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. I know, I know what you're here for, and, and I know what happened. I know the sequence of events we all do. And you've come to the right place. You just got here late. He has been raised. Our English translations, some will say, he has risen. Let's not miss the fact that Jesus' humanity did not raise his humanity. Jesus' father, the first person of the Trinity, in perfect communion with the second person of the Trinity, the father raised the physical form of Jesus, the, the incarnate Christ. Just so you know, it's not a trick. It's not that he swooned. It's not that he passed out. It's not that he couldn't take the the pain, and so they took him down and put him in, and then he woke up. He got up. No, no, he was raised. He was revived. He was renewed. He was almost, except in his bodily form, recreated. He was dead, and now he is alive. (laughs) Stop being afraid. Okay, those... Dude, those things don't go together, all right? Uh, the, the, I, I get it. I understand. I appreciate the encouragement, but I'm freaked out right now. That's what the Marys maybe said. He has been raised. He has risen just as he said, just as he told you, just as he promised. Here... And the fulfillment of this promise is the fulfillment of every other promise. Believe on me and you will have life. You will have life abundant. How how do we know that, Jesus? Well, now you know because I said I was going to die and rise and I had died and I've risen. So that promise, forgive you of sins... Yeah, I can do that because, look, I'm, I was dead and now I'm not. I told you I was going to be. And, and all the things that I said I would do or could do that seemed far-fetched, that seemed like they were just too much to really grab onto right now, and probably why they went in one there without the other, they're thinking, gosh, we've heard these stories before. 
We've, heard, we've been made promises before, but ah, come on, Jesus. I mean, okay, I, we know you're different. We, we get it. You're di- but, but then they just forgot, or they didn't listen. We're good at both of those things, aren't we? He told you, and look, he's gone. Every promise he made is true. Right up to the one where he said, I'm not going to stay dead. We see an empty tomb. They do what they were told in verse 8. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear. He doesn't told them, stop being afraid. But they're still fearful. But joy has overtaken the fear. I mean, if we're going like percentage, it's probably like 49 fear, 51 joy. Because it, it motivated. It got the wheels turning. They were taken off. But can you imagine taking that news? Can you imagine being the one... I'm going, we got to tell the disciples, we got there, and the tomb, and the angel, and the guards, and the empty. They are not going to believe us. So they're on their way, when lo and behold, Jesus met them. i tell you what, the, 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 one of my favorite Easter songs and, and I, is... Larnell Harris and Sandy Patty singing, I've just seen Jesus. It, it, it captures, I think, the, the, the mournfulness of the moment as well as the cumulative, cumulative joy toward the end. Uh, it's incredible. And that's, that's where they were. They see a living Jesus. What does a living Jesus mean for us? Well, for Matthew, he's making a really big point. He's been making points throughout his gospel. And this moment wraps up, ties up all of these promises, all of these points that he has made throughout his scripture. He is a uh, living Jesus, proves victory over sin. If, if he can defeat death, like he promised, he can defeat sin like he promised. A living Jesus proves that Jesus isn't a liar or a lunatic. If he's dead, he's one of the two. He was either nuts or he knew he was lying and didn't care. If he's still in the grave, then he is someone to be pitied and then forgotten. But instead, a living Jesus proves that he is neither liar nor lunatic, but Lord over all things, including death. A living Jesus cancels the curse of dying by hanging on a tree. A rather obscure theological point, but in the Old Testament, I believe Deuteronomy, it says anyone who is hanged on a tree is cursed. And they were not considered someone worthy to be followed, worthy to be emulated. As a matter of fact, even today, Islam does not accept the death, Jesus' death on the cross or does not accept that Jesus could have been a prophet of God or God's son especially 
because he died on a tree, because of the Old Testament saying it was a curse. Matthew says that curse is done away with now because the death on the tree is actually uh, proven to be powerless in God's hands. Jesus has victory over death, even on a tree, and he cancels that curse. A living Jesus will now drink the new wine of the covenant that he promised just three-ish nights before. Yeah, at the Lord's Supper, when he said, I will not drink this cup again until I come into my Father's kingdom. I'll never drink it with you again until everything is completed. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is what I am going to do. Now he will drink that new wine of the covenant as he promised. A living Jesus brings the disciples back from the scattering. He is going to call them brothers in just a minute. A living Jesus says, you don't have to run anymore. I have defeated death. I have conquered death. As, so death does not matter. Death has no hold. Death has no sting. So if they do track you down and kill you, big whoop. It doesn't matter because death has no victory. A living Jesus completes the sacrificial model of a crucified life. Jesus says, follow me, do like me, be like me, love your enemy, don't uh, turn the other cheek. All these things that he says do and suddenly he gets to the end and as Etta read, like a sheep before her shearers, he says nothing in order to stop the crucifixion. Speak up, man! But he doesn't because he completes that sacrificial model by being crucified for everyone. But if that's all that happens, what's the point? What good does it do to, to have a, a follow somebody who is crucified and dead? But if he completes it by raising from the grave, rising from the grave, or being raised from the grave, then suddenly this has eternal purpose. And we get to see what it is to truly sacrifice ourselves with hope. A living Jesus provides vindication for the prophets, Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophet in John the Baptist, provide vindication for those prophets who were killed for the message. John the Baptist who said, Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And while in prison for speaking out against the power and the authorities of that time on behalf of God, awaiting his own execution, he probably understood, he sends a message back to Jesus, You know what? I'm in prison for this broad, grand message that I know I'm supposed to preach. Cousin, remember, Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. I know I said you were the lamb. I know I get this, but are you? Because I'm in prison right now, and if, if, if I'm going to be in prison, I want to be in prison for the Messiah. I don't want to be in prison for a charlatan. He sends the message back. You've seen what you've seen, man. You know what's happening. You know, you know I am, and I understand your, your doubt, your hesitation right now, your, your worry in the midst of this trial, but just look around. And that's, that's the last answer John the Baptist gets before his head's gone. 
And now, at this resurrection, he is vindicated. And the prophets before him who were killed, preaching the message of a coming Messiah, they are vindicated. A living Jesus provides a perfect judge for the judgment of all humanity. The perfect judge who lived the perfect life, if he had just died and said, oh, I was perfect the whole time, but wasn't or didn't come back, he has no throne from which to judge. But now the risen Jesus gets to judge all of humanity because he has conquered death. He has beaten death. He has gone through the agonizing torture of bearing the sins of every one of us. Therefore, he is in a position to stand back and say, yes, your sin without faith in me, without the relationship with me that washes you of that sin, yes, that sin condemns you. But he also gets to stand and say, because of your faith in me, your sin no longer has power over you. You are no longer condemned. My death, my life is in your place. A living Jesus provides hope for eternal life. No fear in death. No fear of the grave, no victory, no sting of dying. We have the hope of eternal life because Jesus showed, Jesus showed us that life, it will be eternal. The one thing, well, even they would have said the two inevitabilities are death and taxes. They had the same stuff. You know what? There's only one inevitability now. Taxes. Death is just a moment, a doorway, a passage. Oh, it's inevitable in the sense that it's going to happen, but it's also inevitable that it does not matter in Christ because we have hope for eternal life. A living Jesus is God's stamp of approval on the perfect life of the incarnate Christ. Yes, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, he says at Jesus' baptism. And by his resurrection, by raising Jesus, the incarnate Christ, the, the body of Christ from the dead, he says, and he is everything he told you he was. God approves what his son has done. The night before, two nights before, he was praying, Lord, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass it from me. But not my will, but yours. And God says, Though we don't hear the answer, we see the result. This is my will. A living Jesus completes the gospel message of salvation through faith. We can have salvation. He has told us we could be forgiven. He has told us what he had come to do. And then we get to the cross and we get to silent Saturday and it looks like it is over. But instead it is as he said on the cross, finished, completed, not over. He didn't say it's over. He didn't say this is the end. He said it's finished. The gospel message of salvation is completed. Hell rejoiced on Friday because they thought they had won. He's dead. Even the devil didn't listen to him. And hear that three days later he was going to rise from the grave. We got him. 
And then Sunday morning, he's gone. The gospel message was complete. How many of you are there? Nope, not me either. None of you. We take on faith that Jesus rose from the grave. We respond in faith that just as he has power over death, he has power over our sin. Our miracle morning, we come to the female witnesses. All about these ladies right now. Unheard of. This is no fake story with female witnesses. Two men had to give a testimony in order to convict anybody, to prove a story was true. They didn't really have a number for how many women had to give the story because their testimony didn't really matter. And yet, the first two to see the empty tomb were women. Let's go back a little bit. The first person to know about the coming Jesus was a woman. Mary, you're going to have a baby. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Okay. The first to hear of his resurrection were women. The first to share the news of that resurrection were women. The first to see and worship the risen Jesus were women. God, in his sovereignty, based the message of the resurrection on the testimony of women. I am thankful that strong, godly women are a part of what God is doing through First Baptist Sulphur because he has always used women in his church. All the way back to sharing that first best message. He's risen. He's not there. They see Jesus. He met them. And Jesus said, Sup? Now, but I'm almost serious. No, I am serious. Remember how I told you that the, the, the language of the angel is not intense at all? It's not, it's just matter of fact. It happened, it happened, it happened, it happened. His hello here, his greetings, there's no earthquake. There, there's, there's no boom, there's no lightning, no thunder, no, nothing. It's just, it, it, it is literally, it says... Hey, you've done it. You're, you're going to surprise somebody, and you've got two options on the surprise part of it. You can either run up to them, hey, and ah, scare them, or you can just kind of go, hey. Like, ah, you're here. That's what he did. He just... I don't know if he suddenly appeared. Probably not. He was probably there. The other Gospels kind of give us a clue that they didn't recognize him at first, that uh, they had a conversation. It was, you know, they're, they're crying. They're scared. They're, you, and he just goes up to them and says, Sup? Can you imagine? You, just, you, you spent the Saturday crushed that everything's over you're going back to the tomb to finish up the work you started friday evening but couldn't finish you get there all 
mournful and crying and, and, and you know, the mascara is everywhere. And, and, and then you get there and he's not there and you're told he's alive. And, but it was by an angel, so now you're scared and now you're, but you're happy, but still scared kind of. And, and then you're, you're walking out like you're supposed to. You're, okay, I'm going to go tell him. And what are we, hey, did you, I saw it, you saw it too. Okay. And then the, then the one that you came that thought was dead, that you were going to finish wrapping up, finish anointing, stands in front of you and says, Hey, sup? I'm here. And they fell down and worshipped him. I wonder if they said anything. I mean, we know from the other Gospels that there was some conversation, but just as Matthew tells it, it's important, I think, that he doesn't record any conversation. Sup. And they worshipped him. Hey. And they fell down and grabbed his feet. And then the last miracle of that morning, he says, don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. Go and tell my brothers, my brothers, my brothers... He says, Jesus says, my brothers. Who is he talking about? His half-brothers, Mary's other children? No, he's talking about disciples. Wait a minute, the disciples that deserted him? The disciples that scattered? The disciples that, that denied him, Peter? The disciples that were nowhere to be found on the day of the crucifixion? Nowhere to be found on that silent Saturday? Nowhere to be found to help the ladies pull, push back the stone? Nowhere to be found? And he's going to call them, those deserters, those that left him, those that did not follow him to the end like they said he, they would, those that turned their back when he needed them most, he is going to have the audacity to call them brothers. Because he does it with you and me every day. Every day. Go and tell my brothers that I'm alive. And I'm going to meet them. We're going to talk. <laughs> They're going to have some talks. He and Peter are going to have a talk. But they are his brothers. So we go from the miracle morning to our missional mandate. If all that happened, believers, we've got a job to do. If all of that is true, then we don't just say, well, wasn't that a nice story? Boy, that sure was sweet. Oh, we get saved too? Good job, yay. And go on about life as if nothing has changed. Because now we have a mission, a missional mandate. He shows up in Galilee. The disciples come like they're told. They've had these conversations probably already. And lots of stuff has gone on. But they show up in Galilee at this point with the 11 disciples. They come to the mountain and they worship Jesus. Our mission begins with worship of Jesus. Every time, every day. See, our mission is daily, and our worship of Jesus should also be daily. We see it here. They do the same thing the ladies do. When they see him, they worship him. We see it over and over and over. Our mission starts with worship. But we also see what we see too often in our own lives. We probably saw a little love with the ladies, but some doubted. 
That word doubt is really too strong for what we're talking about here. It's more of a hesitant confusion. Like, it, 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 they, they've, some of them, and some of them haven't been there the whole time. We know with Thomas, he got there late at various times. So, so people are coming and going, and they're not seeing him every time that everybody else sees them. So some get there, and they go, Really? It's him. I mean, it's him. I, I, I recognize, I know it's him. And it doesn't mean that some worshipped and some didn't. But it means that they probably all worshipped, maybe. But some of them, even in their worshipping, are going, what? what is happening here? We can forgive them for that, right? I mean, we can, we can look at our own lives sometimes and go, when Jesus shows up, what is happening here? Y'all, this is why we are told to make disciples and not converts. This kind of thing is confusing for a convert, and it, and it should be. When you're new to this stuff, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus did what? Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait we're, we're, we're drinking his blood and eating his flesh, no, wait, huh? What y'all doing in a church? Uh, for a convert, a lot of it is deny myself, take a cross, die? Come on now. But if we make disciples, then those moments of hesitant confusion slowly pass away. But let me tell you, even for the longest-lived disciple... The most studied disciple, the best educated, the best prepared disciple, there are going to be moments of hesitant confusion. But you know what Jesus called these guys? Brothers. There's a joke that says, what do you call the person who graduated last from medical school? Bottom of the class, last one, what do you call him? Who knows the answer? Doctor. Doctor. That's right. What do you call a believer who struggles with what Jesus tells them to do? Brother. Sister. He calls them brothers. And you know why? Because he goes on to say, I know you doubt. You've got this hesitant confusion. Let me help you out here. All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Because you know that whole grave thing? That ain't nothing. You know that whole sin issue? We got that taken care of. So in what world, he would ask you, do you think, I don't have authority? There's not one. All authority has been given to him. The resurrection proved it. So if we follow the Jesus who has all authority, proven in the fact that he was raised from the dead, then we have a missional mandate. We have a responsibility to obey and to follow. And that mission mandate is this, as you are going 
Go as you are going in daily life and directed life. Some of you are called to be doctors and lawyers and school teachers and mechanics and this and that and the other. And as you are going through your daily life, make disciples. Some of us are called to a more directed missional life. We're called to be ministers in a church. We are called to be missionaries to uh, foreign lands. We are called to be missionaries to our home. We are called to have a directed life where that is our career. But all of us as believers have a missional calling, a missional mandate, and that is as we are going, make disciples. The only imperative, the first imperative of verses 16 through 20. Make disciples. Make students. Make learners. Make people who know more about Jesus. But let's rewind that. Not just know about Jesus, but follow and love Jesus. We can know a lot and have no greater relationship with him than we've ever had. Make disciples. And we first baptize them, just like we did this morning. That following and obedience, that symbolizing of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Buried with him, we are buried with him in death, and raised to walk in the newness of life. That act did nothing spiritually, cosmically for Addie this morning. That wasn't the, the, the last thing she needed in order to be saved. That was just her first obedience. And, and we pray a long life of obediences as we have opportunity to disciple her in her faith. That was her showing the world, I now identify with and follow Jesus. Baptizing them, mark them, Show them to the world. Allow them to show to the world we belong to Jesus. And teaching them, again, not just knowledge, not just something that we can put on paper, but something that penetrates and changes us. Teach them, show them, mentor them, help them grow, live life with them, guide them along, show them the potholes in life that you stepped in and ran through and had blowouts because of and broke axles and ankles in. Show them how to navigate this new Christian life, teaching them. But how in the world, Jesus, are we going to do this? To the world, he said. All nations we're going to make disciples of. How, Jesus? We can't do this. We don't have the power. We don't have the capability. We don't have the resources. We don't have the people. And he anticipates all of those questions and says, I am with you always. The second imperative of this section, remember. Make disciples and remember, we need to remember that we don't do it on our power anyway. And if we ever think we do, we are on the wrong track. If we are ever doing it for our glory and not his, we are on the wrong track. We are doing it for the wrong reasons. We live for the glory of Christ. 
who died from the Father. We live for them, for him, not for us. And so we do this in his power because all authority has been given to him in heaven and in earth. If you are here this morning, and all of you that are here are here, so that if you are here this morning, that's a stupid phrase, but I use it anyway, then already you have some inkling, some idea that all authority has been given to Jesus. You came to church today. So if all authority has been given to Jesus and you recognize that enough to show up, then let me ask you, have you recognized that enough to give him your life? All authority means all authority. So if he says the only way to a relationship with the Father is through him, all authority has been given to him. So he gets to set that parameter. And if you will just trust him today, he will never leave you. Never leave you. No matter what you go through, no matter what potholes you have to navigate, no matter what death looks like when you get there, he will never leave you. On the other side of death, he will never leave you. Your sin is way too much for him to forgive. You may think but you would be wrong. Because if all authority has been given to him in heaven and in earth, your sin is no greater burden for him. He's already borne it. He already took that on the cross. That is forgiven if you will just receive him. Receive that forgiveness. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Yes, your sin is heinous and it is a, a repulsive to a holy God. And therefore, because of your sin, your little ones and your big ones, however you categorize them, they are all going to condemn you to death. Every one of them. You can't not commit enough and get out of that. It's going to happen. And you deserve it. Because you sinned against a holy God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. See, your sin is not the end of the story. Death is not the end of the story. The cross is not the end of the story. The resurrection continues that story. The resurrection says he has power over death, just like he promised, and sin just like he said. So you can have the gift of God, eternal life for you. It is given to all who will receive. Oh, there's the caveat. All who will receive. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, there is a response necessary from you. The Gospel of John over and over and over says, believe, believe, believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe that he died for your sins. That his death is enough for your sins. And place your faith, 
Where am I putting my trust for my salvation and my eternity? In me? Nope. In Jesus. The thief on the cross, Alistair Begg, a phenomenal preacher. Uh, I shared this on Facebook this week. Has a great illustration. I'm not going to do the whole thing like he does. But the thief on the cross knew nothing of Jesus' death other than it was coming pretty soon. Had no clue about a resurrection. Had never been to a Bible study. Didn't have Romans 6.23 in front of him. Didn't know anything about this man that just a few minutes before he had been kind of cussing and talking about too. But he realized on the cross, wait a minute, this guy is different. And all he could say, based on what he had seen from the guy in the middle... This is not, he's not doing this the same we are, the same way we are. He is not approaching this like us. This guy is different. And so from the cross upon which he would soon die, they would come and break his legs so he could no longer push up and breathe, but instead would hang there and suffocate and die sooner. Normally, they'd just leave him there till he bled out. He says from that cross, hey, you over there on the other cross over there, shut up. And we deserve this. This guy doesn't. Remember me. That was his response. He didn't pray some fancy prayer. He didn't get all the right language. He didn't understand any of it. He just said, remember me. And Jesus said, he didn't use these words, but he said, y'all, that's faith. That's it. Today, you'll be in paradise with me. This morning, will you say to Jesus, remember me? Yeah, you know more now. You know Romans 6.23. You get the whole sin thing. Will you say today, Remember me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the salvation that those provide. Thank you that you offer today to all who will come an eternity with you. Forgiveness of sins. Salvation from our sin. From ourselves. And that we can have hope. Lord Jesus Thank you for your work on the cross. God, thank you for sending your Son. The second person of the Trinity made incarnate. And in your unimaginable and uh, not understandable ways, the second person of the Trinity became human, took on flesh. And died for me, for us, and rose for me, rose for us. And Lord, this morning, more than anything else I pray, I pray that someone here today would cry out from their pain, their torment, their deserved punishment for sin, and say to Jesus today, remember me.
In Jesus' name we pray. And by the Holy Spirit's power, we ask that it happen this morning. Amen. So maybe you need to say, remember me. Maybe, maybe that's a question you still have. How do I do that? I'll be up here at the front on my right. Amy will be over here on, uh, at the front on my left. We would love to pray with you. We'll have a couple of men in the back standing against the wall. If you have questions, they would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you need to accept salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to follow an obedient baptism like Addie did this morning. Maybe you have other things in your life that God is working on you with, and you need to right there where you are kneel and pray. Maybe you need to come up here and pray at this stage, moving your body. Maybe you just would like somebody to pray with you. That's fine, too. We're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to worship our Savior, and we're going to give you an opportunity to respond, however that might be. So let's stand, let's sing, let's worship, and let's hear God and allow Him to work on our lives this morning as we sing.